the verses 1 through 19, which we read now. Hear the word of the Lord fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ. But Saul, so this is about another Saul, but it's certainly related, as we'll see. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever, and this is the word that I may preach to you. When you read through the book of Samuel, then a thought that easily comes to mind is what Paul says at the end of Romans 11, How unsearchable are God's judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Let me explain to you what I mean by this. Israel is demanding a king. If you know the story of 1 Samuel, which I assume you do, and if you don't, I encourage you to read that very fascinating book. Israel is demanding a king from God. That's what we read in the chapter before in 1 Samuel 8, 
But they're demanding a king from God for all the wrong reasons. Surprisingly, Yahweh grants their request. And we wonder, what is God up to? God's ways are unsearchable. are strange. What is God doing? We're not quite sure. The man that God chooses to be Israel's first king is a Benjaminite from the smallest tribe of Israel and from the humblest clan in Israel. And not only is Saul from the smallest tribe and and the humblest clan, we also know something else about about Saul, which he doesn't tell us for good reason, as we'll see. And that is that he's from the town of Gibeah. Do you remember that place? Gibeah? It was put on the map much like Columbine or the Picton Farm because of the the notoriously chilling crime that had happened there. Perhaps you remember Gibeah as the place where a Levite, a supposedly holy servant of God, had given his concubine, what was he doing with a concubine in the first place, but he had given his concubine to a group of men in the city during the night, letting her be gang-raped and beaten to death, and then sending her body in twelve parts to all the areas of Israel. And yes, I know that's gruesome, but the story is told in the Scriptures. Judges 19-21. through Gruesome. This gruesome crime had put a blot on Gibeah, and rightly so, since it actually went unpunished. People would surely wonder whether anything good could come from Gibeah. Even as they would later wonder whether anything good could come from Nazareth. Now when we read this account, we should try to think along the lines of God's people who at that time didn't know the rest of the story of Saul's later life. We have the reader's edge. We know what is going to happen. But try to imagine being a person at that time not knowing what is going to happen. Not knowing how the story of Saul's life is going to unfold. Besides his place of origin, everything else about Saul is actually quite promising. Saul, as we're told at the beginning of 1 Samuel 9, is is the son of Kish. And Kish is a, a wealthy gentleman, a man of standing, a community leader, an influential guy with money to back him up. And Saul is described in verse 2 as as a handsome young man. There was not a man, it says there, there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. That's the Hebrew way of saying he was was a head taller than everyone else. 
In a crowd, you, you could always see Saul. He's a good-looking fellow. Surely, a good specimen for a king. He's a dutiful and committed son who goes out to search for his father's donkeys when he's asked to do so. He's a daddy's boy. He's a shy fellow who doesn't like attention. He even hides among the baggage when it's time for him to be made king of Israel. We're, we're told that in chapter 10. When his father sends him to look for, for his lost donkeys, Saul goes. The good-looking looker looks. He needs to find what he's searching for since the, the donkeys are a considerable part of his father's wealth. We think of donkeys and we think of you know, those dumb animals. But in those days, people of wealth alone had donkeys. They were status symbols, like an expensive car or a beautiful home. Kish losing his donkeys is like someone losing out on a, on a very valuable and high-valued investment or having expensive st farm equipment stolen. The looker looks for several days but he doesn't find anything. At least he doesn't find what he's looking for. Instead of finding what he's looking for, Saul himself is found by the one who's looking for him. Interesting parallels here to Acts 9, aren't there? Which we don't have time to explore this morning. There's so much there. Saul is found by the one who is looking for him. Saul is seen by the well-seeing seer. The good-looking looker looks, but does not find. The well-seeing seer sees and finds. Samuel is the well-seeing seer. And he finds the man whom God has chosen to become the leader of his people, the prince of his people. Samuel, you see, needs to find a good successor, just like Eli needed to. Do you remember how Eli had two wicked sons who were not worthy to succeed him as high priest? And so he adopted Samuel as his successor? Samuel would be a good successor. He would be a good leader of the people. Unlike blind Eli, he would be a well-seeing seer. A prophet who sees. And now Samuel is in much the same position as, as Eli had been. Samuel's sons are also wicked. They too are not worthy to succeed Samuel as leader of God's people. So Samuel must adopt a son, as it were. And that son will be Saul. The meal at the end of chapter uh, 9 is a sort of adoption 
meal. The leg of the lamb was reserved for the priest and his family according to the law. And did you notice how Samuel reserves it for Saul? He tells the cook, this, set this leg aside, it's, it's going to be for Saul to eat. For Saul is now a part of his, free, of his priestly family. And, and did you also notice how, how Samuel even gives his place at the head of the table to Saul, his newly adopted son. This, this is a dinner that Samuel is hosting, but he gives Saul the place at the head of the table. This father-son relationship will develop eventually into a prophet-king relationship. As a king, Saul will be anointed, as we saw at the beginning of 1 Samuel 10. And as a king, Saul will be expected to look to the prophet, the seer, as a son looks to his father. Kings are to listen to the voice of Father God, Father Yahweh, by heeding the guidance and counsel of the Father Prophet. Father Yahweh wants to be able to say to His people of His anointed King, as He will later say of Jesus Christ, this is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. Will Samuel be able to say this of Saul? That is the big question. Especially if we don't have the reader's edge. Being a head taller than everyone else, there's one person that Saul actually resembles. Remember how Samuel is actually a Nazarite. Samson was a Nazarite, so was Samuel. We read about that in 1 Samuel 1, verses 11 and 28. What this means is that Samuel has a dedicated head, we might say. He's not allowed to cut his hair all the days of his life because his mother, Hannah, has given him to the Lord, has dedicated him to the Lord as a Nazarite. So, as an adopted son of Samuel, Saul too has a dedicated head. You can not only see him in a crowd all the time, God sees him and has dedicated his head Whenever the Bible offers a physical description of someone, which it does only occasionally, it does so for good reason. As the saying goes, the Holy Spirit never wastes His breath. In other words, whatever is in Scripture, whatever words or details are given by the Holy Spirit in Scripture are given for a reason. So there's a reason that the Holy Spirit reveals to us this little detail about Saul, that he's he's taller than everyone else. 
Whenever he's in a crowd, you can see Saul's head. That's because God has set him aside. God has set him apart. Saul is a looker, all right, head and shoulders above the rest. But will he be a seer like Samuel? That is the big question. If we don't have the reader's edge. Saul and his servant, upon finding Samuel the man of God, are eager to hear an announcement. They want to find out from from Samuel where the donkeys are, and they're even willing to pay money. It's a little bit humorous, isn't it? Saul thinks, yeah, if I give give the man of God some money, he'll, he'll, he'll be happy to help us. He thinks he needs to pay his way into God's favor. And it will become evident later in his life that this is a problem. So let's go to the man of God. He'll probably be able to help us. Well, in their search for one kind of announcement, where are the donkeys? They receive a much better announcement. Not only have the donkeys been found, The next king of Israel has been found. And Saul is that person. You see, what one seeks is not always what one finds. As in this case, God always uses our seeking to to bring us what we need to find. We might be looking for something, but God wants us to find this other thing. All the trivial and mundane details of our lives, like lost donkeys and long searches and anxious sons, and silver pocket change become significant means by which God brings about His grand, glorious purposes. You and I need to understand, brothers and sisters, that God's providence and sway extends not only into such significant events as God choosing the first human king for His people as here, the sway of God's providence also enters and directs your life, my life, in all the apparently trivial and mundane details. You may not know what a lost cell phone, a broken down vehicle, a failed investment, a poked eye, or a tunie in the bottom of your purse has to do with God's grand plan. But you may be sure 
that none of the mostly unnoticed and even distracting details of your week and your day are not somehow being worked into His grand, glorious plan. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 16, verse 9. A person's steps are directed by the Lord. How then can anyone understand his own way? Proverbs 20, verse 24. Oh yes, in these situations we may be as much in the dark as Saul was, but not even a hair can fall from our head, nor a computer die or a light bulb go out, apart from God's will. For there isn't only a good-looking looker looking in this story and a well-seeing seer seeing. There's also an an always-hearing hearer hearing. We know from the chapter before that Israel is sinning They're actually sinning by asking for a king. We need to understand that it's not their request for a king per se that is wrong. It's the kind of king that they're seeking that is all wrong. A king that will help them to blend in with all the nations around them. They want to be like the nations. They want to blend in with the world. They want an impressive human king that everyone notices above the crowd. And that is a sin on Israel's part. Israel's sin, however, does not dry up the fountain of God's mercy. Yahweh is a compassionate, gracious, and merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Have you ever been paralyzed with fear that something that you have done as a person, or perhaps even something that the church as a whole has done, would be enough to make God close His ears forever? Such a God we do not have. Of course, this does not mean that we don't need to examine our motives and our lives before His face. That's actually exactly the point of what we've heard from the Word this morning. It doesn't mean that that we may take the discipline of our Father lightly when we experience it. But we must always do so remembering that our God is a merciful God, a God full of grace, who will even use our foolish motives, our sinful desires, our silly ideas, and selfish demands. And He will make something good from them. That's our God. 
Yahweh is, is directing everything here. For he is the God who hears. Notice what we read in, in the verses 15 and 16 of 1 Samuel 9. I'll just read that with you again. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have seen my people, because their cry has come up to me. Did you hear that? The all-hearing hearer hears. You've heard about another Saul. We just read about him earlier in the service. Saul of Tarsus. He too was from the little tribe of Benjamin. Saul of Tarsus too was busy looking. Not for donkeys though. He was looking for Christians. He was looking for followers of Jesus. He was hunting them down actually like a ferocious beast as he says in Acts, as he admits in Acts 26. He was like a ferocious beast hunting down followers of Jesus with all the hatred he could muster. When Stephen had been stoned to death in Jerusalem, Saul of Tarsus was there giving his approval. Going from house to house, he dragged off Christian men and women and put them in prison, we're told in Acts 8. And he was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, as we read, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he didn't care, he would take them prisoners to Jerusalem. He was on a mission. And he wasn't just hunting down lost donkeys. He was hunting down the Lord's precious children. But instead of finding what he was looking for, he was found by Jesus himself, whom he was persecuting. At that moment, all his looking came to an end. He was struck with blindness for three days. Did you notice? Just as many days as Jesus had been in the darkness of the grave. It's as if Jesus was burying Saul with him in his death so that he too could be raised up to a new life. 
For after three days, what happened? The scales fell from his eyes and he became a seer. And he was baptized. He had gone looking for Christians to have them murdered, but he did not find what he was expecting to find. He found something much better. He found Christ Himself, or should we say, was found by Him. With the result that instead of taking the lives of others, He would receive new life in Christ Himself and be raised up to eternal life. And then would go out and proclaim that good news to all the world as the foremost of Jesus' apostles. Like Saul of Gibeah, Saul of Tarsus too, an unlikely individual, was unexpectedly anointed with the Holy Spirit. Do you see? Jesus doesn't only summon mundane and petty and boring incidents like lost donkeys, broken toys, stray tunies, burned out light bulbs, poked eyes, to move forward his grand plan. Jesus also rallies murderous plots and their plotters his most wicked enemies, and their cleverest plans. He will even change a number one enemy and make him a number one apostle, as he did with Paul. He even turns the greatest victory of the enemy into his own and his people's greatest victory, as he did with the crucifixion of his own well Beloved Son. The cleverest plots that we see happening in the world around us, whether that's our government or any other government or any individual or group of individuals, nothing will not be used by our God to complete His grand and glorious plan. We have nothing to fear. Do you see? Do you hear? The hearer is still bringing lookers to the seer. Jesus is the seer. He is the one described in Revelation whose eyes are like blazing fire, who sees everything, even into the deepest corners of everyone's heart and mind, and every scheme and plot. When he looks, 
he finds. And he sees all. There's no question about that. And there's also no question about whether we should listen to him. Because he is a faithful son, the faithful son of our Heavenly Father. He makes sure that all our cries and prayers and searching are heard and answered by the always hearing hearer. Even the ones that are defiled with foolish and selfish and silly motives and ideas. For he himself intercedes for us by perfecting our prayers. His eyes are like blazing fire, but they are also full of grace and love, compassion and mercy, inviting us by his loving gaze into his wide open arms, once once stretched out on the cross, now powerfully and gently bringing us into his eternal kingdom as his precious sons and daughters, yes, even as his friends. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, our hearts are restless until we rest in you. Help each one of us, having been found by you, to ever return to you and follow you wherever you go and wherever you would lead us. May all those who are still searching even among us, find you at the end of all their searching. May they discover, perhaps for the first time, the fullness of joy, peace, grace, and flourishing that you desire to give everyone. May all those who are lost and wandering be found by you. May they see your face by faith, and may they hear your voice and recognize it as their own good shepherd who laid down his life for them to give them eternal life with him. O Lord, we thank you that through your word and by your spirit you have let us see your your face and hear your voice in Jesus' your beloved Son. Amen.